Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Bringing Care Home podcast. I'm your host, Kathy McGuire. And with me today is Dr. Christine Lum Lung, the CEO and founder of Origin Healthcare out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Welcome, Christine. Hi, Kathy. Thanks for having me. No, it's, it's, we had a great conversation with you a few weeks ago and couldn't wait to get you on the podcast. So thanks so much for joining us. Hey, to get us started, why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of your background, how you got started and, you know, a little bit about your journey to um, Origin Healthcare. Excellent. Yep. So I'm a physician at the core, always will be. I um, did my um, med school in Colorado, my internal medicine residency and training at UCSD, um, at that time, there was a new um, specialty in um, healthcare starting called hospitalist medicine. So I started in a group in Arizona. Hospitalist medicine at that time meant that you would see a different set of doctors when you were in the hospital than you might in your primary care office practice. It was still a pretty new field, um, started to work and grow that, and then had the opportunity to come to Colorado and start my own hospitalist medicine group, kind of had that voice in the back of my head that said, if I could start my own practice, I would do things differently than what was happening in the practice I was with. So I came here to Fort Collins in uh, 2004 and started a hospital medicine program. We were independent, are independent, um, and grew that to cover three regional hospitals, 43 docs. Uh, loved what I was doing, loved the healthcare that we were providing but still knew that there was still so much in healthcare that wasn't working for patients and families. And I kept having these very frustrating conversations. And finally in my head was like, well, go do something, see if you can change the narrative of, you know, how people are experiencing their healthcare. You have the business side of it and you have the clinical side. And so I joined with a couple of colleagues and we started Origin Healthcare in 2021. Nate, excellent. Well, so tell us a little bit about Origin Healthcare and, um, you know, what makes it different than what other folks are doing or what hospitals are doing, what, you know, home care, home health is doing. Yeah. Um, so Origin Healthcare specifically, what we're doing is we're really integrating clinicians and technology, and we're creating this comprehensive care platform that's enabling patients to receive advanced medical care at home instead of in the facility. So really the thought, a lot of people know the movement is hospital at home. Uh, just a quick pause. This is actually um, a model of care that's been used successfully around the world for decades in countries like Australia, Italy, and Spain, they've been doing this. And really the thought is that there are people that are physically within the walls of the hospital right now that could get their care at home if they had the right clinical support. And the studies will actually show that the outcomes are much better from a safety, quality, patient experience, and then meaningfully from a cost standpoint. And that's what's super rare about this. There's very few things in healthcare that we find that actually move the needle in the right direction in all of those metrics. So we're taking patients that would otherwise be within the four walls of a hospital facility receiving their care. We're now having them in the safety and comfort of their home and we're bringing the team and the equipment and technology to them. And it's different than care that's being provided in the home right now, like home health care. That typically is dealing with more chronic, stable illnesses. Those are kind of episodic visits. When we're doing that intensive, advanced care at home, we're in the home a couple of hours a day. We're using remote monitoring. We're doing advanced treatments beyond what home health capabilities currently are. So our people are much, patients are much sicker, and they're requiring that more intensive expert medical care. 
Excellent. Excellent. Well, and so when you talk about moving the needle and, um, and, and kind of clicking on all the check boxes for kind of um, how to make care, how to make healthcare better, right? You know, right. function, function, outcome, cost, satisfaction, all those things. Um, tell me what, uh, what are you doing around the data or the analytics? I noticed in a, in an article that you received a, a state of Colorado grant recently that must have been based on data and, and kind of outcomes. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. You were very purposeful from day one, knowing that this was a relatively new model of care here in the U.S. and that there was so much learning that we had um, in front of us that we were capturing every single data point that we could from obviously quality outcomes, the patient experience score. We have a, a net promoter score of 97 that just shows really how patients and their families are receiving this. But we also are looking at operational data. We're looking at outcomes data, um, really to be able to prove to people, again, what has been proven overseas, but that we can deliver high quality care safer and we can do it really efficiently. Because one of the concerns about this type of model is it can't actually be more operationally efficient or cost efficient to bring an expert team to the home. How does that actually work? And so we want to be able to look at where those different levers are and say, Based on the patient's clinical condition, based on maybe their data from remote monitoring, their laboratory, the clinical evaluation, these are the characteristics of this patient. This is the team that needs to go see the patient. This is where in the day they need to go. This is the equipment, the supplies that they need. Here's the route. It's a lot more complex when you're actually moving players around a board, essentially, instead of having everybody under one roof of the hospital. And so in order to make sure that we were doing this and providing that high level safe care, but doing it in a cost effective manner, we were really gathering that data. So we were basically looking at how we can drive analytics to really help with operational efficiencies, but also be able to predict deterioration make sure that you're getting a clinical team to the home before a patient starts to have problems that might cause them to have to go back to a brick and mortar facility. We also want to make sure that I think with so much of what's happening in healthcare right now, while there's a lot of exciting changes and a lot of change that's needed, care is getting a little bit more fragmented for patients and families. And so how can we make sure that we're providing a seamless care experience for them on how they get a hold of the clinical team, how we're passing information back to the primary care doctor. And we also want to be really mindful of the primary care or the specialist. They're super busy right now. We see the burnout issues. We really, really want to partner with them and think, how can we help them decide what are the patient's needs and where are the best where's the best location for that patient, sort of site appropriate care. So what data are we providing to those clinicians who are seeing the patient making a decision on care. So really this big spectrum of where technology and data is going to be able to span, creating this new care model. And, and uh, as you mentioned that, how, how has the program been received by the primary care docs, but also the, subspecial, the specialists and subspecialists that have been kind of seeing them on a daily basis in a hospital if they were there? How's that all working out? Yeah, with um, you know, with anything in healthcare change, obviously change management is hard, um, and especially when you're talking about a busy clinician team, we really want to make sure that we're not creating friction uh, for any of the providers out there. But it is a new model of care, and so we're really having to be um, very purposeful about the education we're providing. 
you know, what are the services, what are the patient characteristics that would make them eligible for home? We want to make sure they don't feel like, oh, we're going to have to do a bunch of paperwork in order to get the patient into the model. We want to make it the seamless, you know, one stop, pick up the phone, tell us what you need, and we're going to take everything from there. As a lot of new models of care, you also tend to get those patients that the primary care doctor, the specialist is facing a challenge. Like I have a very sick patient in front of me. I think they need to be in a brick and mortar facility, but they're declining care for various reasons. And we can talk about some of those barriers that patients face, but we're able to say, hey, instead of you know a patient signing out AMA from the emergency department or leaving the hospital early or declining to get the care, let's bring our team in. We have a lot of the capabilities for the care that they would get in the hospital. And so you're not going to see them getting a, a lower standard of care. And that's been a huge relief. And then we're being very purposeful about providing feedback and information on the home environment, which a lot of specialists and primary care docs don't have access to. We've had some very impactful moments with patients and been able to talk to the primary care doc. And this has been a patient they've known for 10, 12 years, and they had no idea what was happening in the home environment. So it's been a really great collaboration. Excellent. Excellent. Well, and they got to figure if they're trying to get somebody to go to the hospital and the patient just doesn't want to go, they've, they've got to feel like they're so much better off with you than without you because not going and not doing anything is just not the right answer, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, We've seen the consequences of that delayed care from COVID, right? What happened excellent. when people put up care. Excellent. And, you know, you know, one, one experience, especially if it's a tough one like that, just gets the ball rolling with those clinicians. So, yeah. And I think that's, that's been the case is once people realize what the services are, they see the outcomes, you're, we're starting to sort of gain that momentum. Excellent. Excellent. Well, so um, one of the things that um, you talked about a little bit earlier was the data and analytics and the, and the, you know, the satisfaction, the efficiency, the, the outcomes as you, um, as you, uh, start to figure out, you know, how you will move um, that. Actually, you know what? I'm going to hold that question till later, um, and Matt will edit that mess out. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, you you mentioned earlier about um, how you want you, you know you're, it's more efficient. You know, people say it's more efficient in the hospital that uh, you know everything's right there, um, but you've created an efficient model in the in the community. Um, we've heard from other kind of advanced care at home or hospital at home providers that they really want to get started in very high density, high population areas. You've done this in Fort Collins, which is not a little, you know, village, but it's not New York City or Los Angeles or Boston. So tell us, how have you made that successful in kind of, a, a, you know, a much more, um, you know, a smaller city, more rural um how have you made that uh, efficient? Um, you know, a lot of care, like you said, um, care delivery changes happen in dense urban areas. Um, but we know that the need is really great, at, especially out in our rural communities where we're seeing the rural hospital closures, difficulty with staffing out there. Um, and that's what I think has been great about where we've launched. It's really this mix of urban and rural. We're covering a couple of counties that have, you know, we sometimes drive an hour and a half uh, to go see a patient. And I think, you know, as we're developing these models, we need to think about those areas where patients aren't being served and how we can do this. And it may be that the model is different. And so some of what we're looking at when we see our patients initially are, what other resources are there in the community that we could help use and leverage? In the beginning, especially, you know, what are the acuity levels? We may not take that patient 
with borderline oxygen saturations that might need us to be able to get there super quick or their access to a nearby hospital is too far. But you can take, you know, a heart failure patient needing IV diuretics, um, a pneumonia maybe that's failed IV antibiotics. So you look at sort of, and that's where we're taking that data in. As we're looking at the patients we've seen and we've seen where their geography is, how many times we deployed the clinical team, you know, unintended, um, you know, outcomes, we're able to say, hey, we know we can go into this zone this far away from a hospital facility and we can safely see those patients and treat them. And so that's what we're looking at is trying to serve that unmet need right now. And we know that it can be done. It's just going to be looking very different. And we want to continue to get out more and more into those rural communities to help provide support for the rural hospitals. We by no means want to come in and close a rural hospital by providing competing services. We want to say, how can what we're doing with our expert mobile clinical team of nurses, nurse practitioners, and doctors use our skills and our technology to help augment the care that's in your community? Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, uh, I, I, I was reading an article about a completely different model of care uh, that was launching with a, a new startup a few weeks ago. And, and they were talking about that, you know, their, their locations were going to be, um, you know, downtown Manhattan and, you know, downtown L.A. And I thought... This is a perfect model, but it needs to get to rural areas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, if we talk access, obviously, being one of the key parts about this model of care, we know that there are so many people struggling. And there are people in, you know, that can be a block away from a hospital who still face access problems. They may have a family member at home that they feel that they can't leave. And we've had that happen. Like we have, you know, spouses that are taking care of the other spouse and they're saying, I'm not going to go to the hospital to get care because I don't know what's going to happen to my wife or my husband. And so access challenges happen everywhere, but there are unique access challenges, obviously, out in the rural communities. Yes, yes. Well, so um, as you think about um, your uh, kind of growth and expansion, um, we, we talked a little bit about it a few weeks ago. And obviously, you can't tell us, uh, the audience, everything. There's things that are, you know, things that you have to keep to yourself right now. But as you think about your growth and expansion, um, are there um, specific or particular uh, kinds of um, uh, areas or programs or um, or populations that you're looking to expand to? Um, and and then I'll have a follow up question. Uh, we've really used the last several years of launching here in the you know the northern Colorado market essentially, and now down into the sort of North Denver area to really decide like, where is the sweet spot right now? You know, again, we talk about that change management. There will be some of those early adopters. There will be some of those close followers. And then there are ones that'll maybe come into this kicking and screaming a little bit. And so we know that this is a change that absolutely has to happen. When you look at studies that McKinsey even puts out that there'll be $265 billion of Medicare, Medicare Advantage money that shifts to the home within the next decade, like undoubtedly, this is a movement. People are asking for this to happen, but healthcare is a very um, established industry and there are a lot of entrenched players. And so, you know, we came in thinking we have a model of care that's very widely applicable. And because we're an independent group, we're not from any insurer, we're not from any single hospital system. We can go into community and really partner with multiple different stakeholders and really build out that opportunity 
We've also learned though, who are those ones that are really more interested in this now? And so we're focusing our attention on those groups and really looking at how we can support those primary care practices, especially those that are moving to value. Our ability to come in and partner with them, they're doing such a great job in that primary care space and managing outcomes and prevention. Uh, but there's really only going to be so far that they're going to be able to take that and drive additional savings. If we can come in and partner with their most expensive spend for their patient population that they've taken on risks for and really align with those quality measures, I think that's where we're going to see a lot of great synergy moving forward. We carry a bias that I have as well is that I do not think that everything in healthcare needs to be hospital owned or corporate owned. Um, we do think that the independent clinician is still a really strong anchor point to healthcare. And so we really want to continue to partner with those independent groups doing that. So we have some um, contracts that we have in place with some of these value-based organizations to take this into the next level of what we're doing. Excellent. Excellent. And so when you, when you think about partnering, um, it obviously partnering with ACOs and payers is a big, is a big deal, right? Because they're going to mm -hmm. drive the payment and uh, you and I talked a little bit about how form follows finance and, and yep. we really liked it to follow function. And if you can get the right outcomes at a lower cost, boy, you can bend that curve. Um, what other kind of, when you, when, if you, if you um, partner with an ACO that's physician owned, um, uh, you know, what do you look for in a partnership besides kind of a willingness and the, the ability to kind of make that payment is are um, ever um, partner with folks because they want to participate in the model. Yeah, so exactly. We're looking for several different components to this one. We're looking for, you know, a primary care or referral basis for us to work with. You know, I think when we look at the complexity of getting a patient into a care model, who are the different people that influence that? Clearly the patient, the caregiver, but that primary care physician or that specialist that a patient has a relationship with is still a very key driver to this. And so we know if we can align with those groups and start very early on having a strong partnership saying, you know, where are your pain points? Who are the patients that you face the most challenges with? If you're in a, you know, a risk model, whether it's an ACO or Medicare shared savings, where are you finding that you're losing out on, you know, quality metrics or outcomes or cost spend and really start very early on before we even start treating the first patient of learning about them and their organization and what their goals and values are. And then aligning, like you said, the model and the payment and where we come in under, you know, any type of risk-based model or shared savings plan with the needs. And I think that those types of collaborations are going to be much stronger than if we just come in and say, you know, we're here to save you. We have a solution without understanding. Uh, and I think we as physicians, unfortunately, and this is where I feel like we have a lot of strength. My co-founder is um, a nurse. She worked in the cardiothoracic ICU at UCLA. So we're a clinically founded team. We, we understand the pains of healthcare. And we understand when someone drops a solution in our lap um, without actually even asking us or learning what it is that are our pain points. And so we're very purposeful about engaging with those groups early on to try to set this up for success. And then, you know, meeting those patients who may be the high utilizers or have struggled with care, you know, letting them know who we are, how to access care, a lot of active education and communication. I tell people when I started the hospital medicine group, hospital medicine was so new, half of the docs that I met said, over my dead body, will I ever use a hospitalist medicine program? You know, and here we are decades later and it's pretty ubiquitous at the US. 
10 years from now, we'll all wonder why we ever admitted heart failure to the hospital. But a little bit early in the movement here, you do have to take on the responsibility of education and spending time and over communication really so that people feel comfortable with this. But I think more and more of that momentum is going to actually take off. And people are, we're getting patients referred to us who have had a friend or a family member use our services before, but it does take time in the beginning to build those partnerships. Yep. I, I agree with you. You know, uh, uh, I, I worked in the PACE model for years and years and years. And in the early 1990s, we had a protocol for taking care of CHF patients in the home and not sending them to the ED. And so this is not new stuff. It's just that the models of finance don't really, you know, support this kind of stuff. So when you, yes. when you have the right financing mechanism, it's a game changer. So yeah. this is really great. Yeah, that's been one of the most frustrating things is that it seems so obvious. If we can save, you know, the studies will say 30 to 40 percent, you know, we're seeing five to six thousand dollars savings on that episode of care. But then again, if you're thinking about the impact of us being in the home, engaging with the patient and the caregiver, we're not only impacting that episode of care, but, you know, we're preventing perhaps the next hospitalization and the next one. Um, it just seems so obvious. Um, but as you said, healthcare finances sometimes um, make it a little bit opaque to find the obvious. Yes, exactly. Well, so it, um, I was interested that you mentioned your nurse co-founder, because one of the things I think that's um, uh, interesting about your team, as you as you read your website, um, kind of look at your whole team, you've got a really well-rounded team. You've got, uh, you've got leaders on your team that come from the payer background that kind of look like they're going to know how to negotiate um, some of this stuff. So, you know, talk a little bit about your leadership team, because it looks like a, a kind of a group of superstars. We, it's a group of superstars, Kathy, you're right. So my co-founder, Jory Anderson, um, she and I actually met on a medical mission in Uganda uh, eight, nine years ago. We, we keep forgetting to find out when. And we're, it, she's just one of those people when you meet, you know that you're, you're, you apparently were meant to meet. Um, Friends we, for life. We were friends for life and we just had very similar work ethics. The mission that we were on serves anywhere between 5,000 and 7,500 patients in a one week period of time. And Jory was responsible for running the triage to get everybody through just this amazing individual and very mission driven. So when I was starting to think about origin, she was one of the first calls. And I think, you know, picked up the phone and she was like, I'm in. And we've sort of been off and running uh, since that time. We had another uh, physician co-founder who I also knew was with us for the first year as well and helped us get up and running. And as you said, our executive, uh, you know, our advisory team, you know, we have Jill Hummel, who worked in the um, payer space, Danielle Snow, who worked in the healthcare startup space with Included Health, Greg Hecht, who was a technology founder of his own business, and then Stephen Summer who's worked for decades in the hospital association and now is a president and CEO of the Healthcare Institute, uh, could not ask for a better team of advisors that have been very good about helping me look ahead, helping me see any flaws in what we're doing and really keeping us grounded on what the mission is and building for purpose and longevity. It's been fantastic. Excellent. Excellent. And we're, we're in the process of potentially bringing on another amazing member to our team. So more to come later. Excellent. Oh, well, that, that, now she just, you know, laid the groundwork for her. We got to bring you back someday. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you know, you've, you've done a couple startups. We exciting that, you know, you've told us all about those today. When you think about the lessons as a, as a CEO and founder 
um, when you think about the lessons that you've learned um, through your experiences, what, what, what do you think is the biggest takeaway from kind of the founder lesson thus far? So many takeaways and lessons. I would say on the positive, definitely you have to know why it is that you're doing this. You have to be so grounded into the mission of what you're doing. For me, this is, you know, healthcare is my career. I want to be proud of, you know, the sector that I work in, but it's also where my loved ones get their healthcare, where my friends and families get their healthcare. There's so many reasons for me to want to make healthcare better. And it's super important on days that are rough, we'll have a patient interaction where the spouse, you know, has been in tears saying, you guys are a blessing from heaven. I don't know what we would do without you. And we think, okay, this is, this is why we keep doing it because it is not for the faint of heart. I think startups themselves are so difficult and being a startup in healthcare is a whole nother level. Um, there are so many challenges as we've talked about. So I would say, make sure you are super grounded in the mission of why it is that you're doing this. Otherwise it would be so easy at times to step away because it is hard. You know, it's so funny. If you listen to the other podcasts that Jared and I have done, it's such a common theme among CEO founders that the, the humility involved in being a founder of a startup is, um, is, you know, just, it's, it's interesting to watch. And then everybody says a very similar thing. And you, you've talked about purpose and mission, you know, that passion about why you're here. Um, and, it, and I can hear it today. And I heard it when you and I spoke a few weeks ago, you know, you, you, uh, you understand what you're doing and why, and, um, and that why really drives you. So, um, Thank you for sharing that. That's really interesting. So, so um, is there anything that you can share with us about what's next for Origin Healthcare? Obviously, um, you can't share everything, but yeah. So we're we're growing. We're going to be growing both within the state. We've um, landed some. We work with um, self-funded employers. I mean, a group we haven't really talked about, but you know, they think there's so much need in the self-funded employer space. When you see that the cost of healthcare expenses have gone up so drastically. Um, these employers obviously are facing their own, you know, economic crisis. So if we can help them and help their employees receive better, more cost efficient care. So we have some new employer groups. We also are going to be starting working with uh, the PACE program here in Northern Colorado, which we're super excited about. And then we have our opportunity to be working with that provider organization, ACO. So we'll be expanding out of state within this year. Oh, so a excellent. lot ahead for us. Wow. Excellent. Well, that just, that just means about, uh, you know, eight or nine months from now, I'll have to give you a call and see how you're doing and, uh, <laughs> Please do. and, uh, and we'll have you come back. Well, Christine, any final words? Um, thank you again, Kathy, for having me on this and for sort of elevating, um, all of us that are working in this space. We're so excited to be a part of uh, changing, obviously the future of healthcare for the better for patients, for the providers that are in it. Um, and, you know, changing the landscape of what the future of healthcare looks like. Um, you know, for anyone that's listening out there that's interested in hearing, obviously, more about Origin or really helping drive this sort of site-appropriate care movement forward, we obviously need more and more voices that are, uh, are doing and pushing for this. So thank you for the opportunity. Excellent. And we'll make sure that we post your website with the description. Um, but um, we'll go ahead and tell them www.originhc.com, right? Yes. Excellent. All right. Well, Dr. Christine Lumlung, thank you so much for joining Thanks, us. Kathy. And thank you, audience, for joining us on this episode of 
bringing care home.